Check in with Hotelevate for insightful, engaging and relevant conversations in the world of hospitality today. Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, I think we have first here today. This is the first time we were talking uh, backstage that these uh, four top CEOs have been together on a panel. So I congratulate Manav for getting everybody on the same continent, in the same country at the same time. It was quite a feat. So um, let's get started. Uh, why don't we just pretend that we're in our living room, just the five of us here, and we're going to have a pleasant conversation and just disregard the 500 people sitting out there. Um, like to start off by, uh, where did you grow up? Each one of you, where did you grow up? Uh, what do you like to do in your free time? And uh, did you ever think you'd get into the hotel business when you were young? Mark? Uh, well, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. And um, let's see, I uh, spent um, my time on the East Coast in school and working until I moved to Chicago to go to graduate school. Um, in my free time, I'm mostly um, spending time with my kids. My golf handicap reflects that. Um, so very high handicap level at the moment. Um, and whatever time I do have outside of work and family, I'm trying to do some things on education, on the education front in Chicago, which needs a lot of help at the moment. So that's what I'm spending my time outside of the office doing. Did you ever think you'd get in the hotel business? No, actually, I didn't. I, I was around Hyatt for uh, almost 17 years prior, prior to the time that I joined the company because I worked for the Pritzker family. Um, so I was uh, exposed to the company and the industry, but never actually thought I'd be in the, in the business. But um, I, uh, I became uh, completely and totally enamored with it once I had the opportunity to spend a little time in the company. So I'm thrilled. Fritz? So I was born in the Netherlands, grew up between there and Seattle, Washington, so in either case, places that are rainy and wet. Um, I don't have a lot of free time, but uh, when I do, I uh, train for triathlons. I did a, a half Ironman last year and try to find a way to get on the bike every now and then. And um, I suppose the, the, the hospitality question I'm the newest to the industry, probably, and uh, I've actually interviewed at Starwood in 2004, and uh, didn't make it into the company at that point, and three years later, when I saw that the position was open, I remember fatefully tapping my finger on the, the Wall Street Journal and turning to my wife and saying, I would still love to work for that company, and I uh, went through a process of being one of 60 candidates to 16 to 6 to 3, and uh, as I say to my friends, uh, the process was rigorous enough that all the qualified candidates were selected out and they were left with me. So I've uh, been with Starwood for five and a half years and uh, really feel as though I had spent my entire life preparing to uh, get into hospitality and to get to Starwood. Good run. Chris? Um, I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area where uh, I still reside in the few off days that I'm actually um, around and in the office and not traveling to find places like Mumbai. Um, I'd like to think I have a lot of interest, and uh, I used to, but uh, like Fritz, I don't have a lot of spare time. So uh, between running a big global company and being the father of six kids, six daughters to be exact, I'd say, um, you know, I, I run a business and I try and run the family and participate as much as I can there, and that keeps me pretty well occupied. I wish... Um, if I had time, I, I wish I had a handicap and played a little bit more golf. I do, do enjoy it. Um, kind of uh, always been a little bit in and around the hotel business. Started out in the back of house, you know, summer jobs. Told my father when I was a kid I was interested in the business, and he proceeded to tell me the best way to get started was, you know, at the lowest level. So started in the engineering department, plunged a lot of toilets, did a lot of other things, obviously got an education, ended up in the development side, and um, ended up where I am today, but, you know, sort of always been uh, interested in, in and around hospitality. All right. Well, I was, I was born in Tokyo, Japan, and lived there till I was seven. Uh, my uh, 
parents, my father had been there at the end of World War II and then went back after he finished school. And, and so the Japanese roots, though I was only there for seven years, are a big part of our family culturally. And uh, Japanese cuisine, for example, is always the cuisine we would have at holiday times. And, and uh, my sister, who's never been terribly strong in many respects, her comfort food is sushi, uh, which is just a, a sort of a sign of, uh, of the cultural piece of our family. Uh, but then moved to the States uh, and grew up in the Midwest and, uh, of course, been in Washington for a long time. Um, I never intended to be in the hotel business, although, coincidentally, I worked uh, in a night cleaning crew while I was in college in a hotel. Uh, but that was very much just about making a little uh, money to get through college as opposed to uh, choosing a career. Uh, Chris and I got to know each other when he was running uh, host, uh, then Host Marriott, which was our biggest owner. Uh, and in the, he got to host about the same time I got to Marriott, and we would jokingly say to each other in the early years, have you learned the secret handshake yet uh, that we thought most hotel operators must know? Uh, and uh, I think after now 17 years last week at uh, Marriott, I'm still not sure I know the handshake, but I'm uh, just thrilled to be in the hotel business. I think it's the uh, greatest industry in the world because it combines so many different things, whether it's uh, financing the industry, real estate development, uh, global travel, uh, interaction with lots of different cultures, uh, the people connection. But I think it, it can uh, sort of satisfy the intellectual side of uh, what turns me on, at least, but also very much the, the uh, personal side and connecting with people in their careers. Great. I'm going to give each of you one minute only one minute to make an advertisement about what you're doing here in India, uh, what your focus is on India, and how does India relate to your global company as far as uh, the effort you're putting in here. So uh, Fritz, why don't you? Clock starts now. So we've been in India for 40 years, first came here in 1973. Uh, we see India today as our fourth largest country, soon to be our third largest, but most importantly, a market like no other in terms of the growth potential. We have 36 hotels open today. We have another 25 definitively under construction, uh, but there's no reason we won't have at least 100 hotels either open or under construction in the next couple of years. And so I'm here to help my team. I'm here to meet with some of our partners uh, and to be a catalyst for growth to the extent that I can and to make sure that our partners and our team here are getting what they need uh, to have business succeed, to create opportunities for Indians to travel, and to have great jobs working in the hospitality business. Great. Chris? Um, I, I would say, and I you know, was talking with our team this morning about what we have going on, India is probably the most important market in the world for us in terms of growth. And I, and I say that because um, the opportunities are so immense and ultimately the fundamentals over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years in my mind are probably better than anywhere in the world and that has to do with the fact of the underlying growth in population, middle class, infrastructure, spend um, and, and ultimately the growth in demand for travel and tourism against um, while there's been significant supply against an existing room base that is so low, um, that, that 188,000 rooms, I think, is lower than the rooms in Orlando, Florida, in, uh, in the U.S. So when I look at the underlying fundamentals of this market, I think undeniably um, this is going to, India is going to show tremendous growth for a very long, long time. And we are growing at a very rapid pace. Uh, we have been in and out of India for many, many years. When I got to the company five years ago, unfortunately for us, uh, we were behind the game. We didn't have any hotels up and operating in India. Today, um, we've made great progress. We have 12 uh, hotels, 2,500 rooms, another close to 25 in the pipeline, um, and you know a very you know very rapid growth um, uh, projection with an expectation of having 50 hotels open by 2016. Art. Um, so we. Um We've been uh, operating here in India for the last 30 years, and uh, we definitely are thinking about our future here in the context of the coming decades. Um, I think the, the perspective you have to have in a market like this uh, has to extend beyond the coming several quarters or a few years. Um, we are an owner. 
so we own 50% of this property with, with a longtime partner uh, and a manager. Um, we've got 16 hotels open now. Uh, prospectively, about a quarter of all of our um, hotels in our pipeline right now are in India. And um, I expect that that proportion will at least uh, maintain, maybe grow, uh, because the opportunities are, are great. Our focus right now is um, on our people. We've got, um, of the 16 properties that we currently manage in the country, 11 of those are led by Indians. And 75% of all of our executive committees in the country are uh, Indian-born, um, long-time Hyatt employees who've grown up through our system. So our real focus going forward with a lot of hotels coming in, into um, uh, uh, becoming, getting opened over the next several years is really to make sure that we are uh, developing future leaders for the company. So we're, we're, we're doing that for internal leadership development, but also working in several of the communities to really um, bring more underprivileged people into the industry through um, vocational training and, and likewise. Arnie? I'm here because this is a place that uh, combines both a spectacular destination and a great business opportunity. Um, India is one of the uh, pl places in the world which I find most exciting to visit. Uh, it's uh, culturally incredibly rich. It is chaotic to be sure, uh, but it is a fascinating place with a, a profound uh, and unique culture, or maybe set of cultures, uh, given the regional differences across the country. Uh, Unlike, in many respects, uh, other destinations in the world that also are compelling business stories, but are less compelling places to come and visit because the cultures are less profound. So it's a, it's a place that it's easy to respond to an excuse, this one being teed up by you, Steve, uh, to come to this conference. It's an easy place to say, yeah, I'll come, uh, because it's a great place to get to. And of course, it's a compelling business destination. So the quick stats in the minute, we have 18 hotels open today. Uh, I, or, or did at year end. Uh, I arrived in Bangalore uh, last night about 1 a.m. Uh, in Bangalore this year we'll open a JW Marriott, a Marriott, a Ritz-Carlton, and a Fairfield. Uh, it is uh, four of the 51 hotels that are signed and in our definitive pipeline. Uh, and we see uh, India, like the other uh, gentlemen here have commented, as a place which long-term is filled with extraordinary opportunity. You all manage hotels in India. Any of you franchise hotels? Not, not yet for us. Right. We do. We franchise uh, one Hampton Inn and have a number of others in the pipeline, the predominantly Hampton by Hilton and Doubletree that we're franchising. So we have a longstanding franchise relationship with the ITC um, for 10 hotels out of the 36. And we have a couple of other franchise relationships, but we're very selective because uh, in this market, as in any other, we're putting our brands in the hands uh, of a third party and we want to make sure that they're, they're managed well. Uh, we do find that when we manage, we have more control as you do in other parts of the world, so that is our preferred model. But as I said, we're, we can be successful in franchise with, with the right people. And we, we're strictly a manager at this point. Right. Good. Let me uh, just throw up uh, some ready in this country. Listen, I, I, as I said, I think the opportunities far outweigh the challenges, but, but in, as in many places around the world, including the Western world, there, there are challenges. Of, you know, the cost of land you know, is, is, is a challenge. The cost of financing makes it difficult. Uh, the combination of those two make it difficult for owners. The process is lengthy. I mean, I'd say, you know, 50 to 100 percent longer than in other parts of the world from the, you know, starting point of a discussion to, you know, to completion and opening of, uh, of properties. And, and Mark uh, alluded to it maybe a little bit, um, although I think it's, it, it, you know, over time, I think we've all uh, had great success in this regard, and that is, you know, the acquisition of talent. Um, while they're um, are many, many people here and, and a number that are trained in hospitality. There really aren't enough to keep up with the, the uh, demand growth and the supply that's, that's following that. And so um, we're spending a lot of time in terms of building our relationships with vocational schools, universities, and bolstering our own training programs to make sure when we get people in, we can actually deliver the service our customers have become accustomed to 
around the world. Some of the Indian operators have their own uh, hotel schools, or are you planning to do anything like that? Well, we do. We have Hilton Worldwide University, which is um, 2,500 courses, both online and in classroom. Um, so in India, we do both. I mean, we have a, a significant component of it's online, but we do have classroom training as, as part of um, our, our program. What's Mary doing in that regard? Well, I think we've got relationships sort of with two schools that are on a national level, uh, including collaborating with uh, uh, some of the schools that the Indian companies have been so, so powerful in helping to set up. And then in most of the cities, I think we're open in nine cities in India today, in most of the cities that we're in, we will have partnerships with schools in those cities uh, to make sure that we've got uh, both an involvement in the training and also obviously a pipeline to the new talent that we need to hire in our hotels. I would go back to your, your last question about uh, biggest challenges in India. We don't do anything in India without an Indian partner. Uh, and, and maybe unlike Mark with your courage to take 50% of this, it, it sort of frightens me to think about Marriott trying to do that on our own. I don't think we have the expertise to be a developer of hotels in India. What that means for us is probably the most important single decision for each hotel is do we have the right partner. Uh, we've been blessed with great partners that we've grown with since we opened the JW Marriott uh, just a few miles away. Uh, in 2001 uh, and uh, really have, have great partners, but getting those partnerships selections right, uh, having somebody who's got obviously the financial wherewithal but also the expertise to develop uh, and the ability to survive you know, some of the volatility that's in this market uh, is important and making sure that we've got a similar approach to business and a similar uh, approach to the sort of time frame that we're looking at. Uh, I think that's a, a critically important decision. Yeah, I, I'd add to that, you know, another important source of both talent and capital for the Indian market is the Ind Indian diaspora. So as we look at our hotels, for example, in the Middle East, many of those, those hotels are predominantly staffed by people from Southern Asia. And so bringing some of those associates back here with the international experience that they've already had has been a great opportunity for us. In terms of the general point, look, I think everybody in this room knows India is a tough place to do business. On the other hand, uh, there are a couple things that come out of that. One is the partners and the people that we do business with, the people that succeed here are shrewd, creative, innovative people who have figured out a way to carve out a position for themselves. And the other piece is there is so much temptation to do things um, in, a, in, a, in a less direct and straightforward way that in a way this market is the best test of whether you have partners that are truly straightforward. And it, in some ways it actually makes it easier to pick the people to do business with because there's no question if you're playing it straight in India, you're playing it straight. So you're all U.S. brands. Is it easier to compete with each other or to compete against Indian brands? You said Indians are tough. Are there... Is it tough to compete against the Indian brands? Look, I, I think the advantage that, that global brands and, and companies of scale have over any local competitor in any market is the scale that you have going along with that. And we spend over $100 million a year on IT, developing our information systems, uh, ways to bring our loyalty program to bear. Our hotels consistently outperform local competitors, not just in India, but anywhere. And it's just a function of the fact that we have the scale and the wherewithal and the ability to leverage best practices around the world. And that's an advantage. What percentage of your market that you attract to your hotels is an Indian market as opposed to international market? So our business is about 60% Indian now. Uh, our loyalty program, SPG, is over 50% of our business here. And the majority of that are Indian SPG members not international SPG members. That program has doubled in size in the last couple of years, and we project that it will double again in size in the next couple of years. Yeah, Chris. we've seen similar statistics, and it's changed dramatically as we've expanded the portfolio. Um, when we were just really focused in Mumbai and Delhi, I would say it was probably 60, 70% driven by international travelers coming into India. As we've branched out, uh, and as the markets evolved, uh, very similar stats to what Fritz described. It's really more 60, 65 percent 
um, Indian national business, you know, throughout the portfolio, including in the major markets at this point. Um, but uh, again, significant component of our overall occupancy driven by Hilton Honors in our case. I, I think it's uh, 51% plus or minus. So a, as Fritz described, a huge advantage vis-a-vis uh, -vis competing with the local brands is that we've got um, a, a very large base of honors members and, and a very rapid growth of honors base and then combined with the international travelers that are coming in that I think are very loyal to the big global brands. You put those two things together, I think it's a very big advantage. I about the same. Yeah, I would say um, with respect to the question of, of, of um, competing amongst ourselves as opposed to with Indian brands, I don't really think of it that way because we've been um, operating continuously as a manager in this market for, as I said, about 30 years. So I'm not sure that we actually think of it as differentiation global or international brands versus Indian brands. Um, we uh, just completed the, the conversion of five hotels that were branded ISTA properties. They're now Hyatt properties. Um, the owners of those properties didn't sit there and say, which global brands am I choosing, be, cho choosing amongst in order to affiliate and, and convert the brands. I think they, they looked at the entire market and made a decision on that basis. So I think the brand awareness and uh, many of us have been in the market for a long time, so the awareness of our brand and, and our reputation and lineage, um, I think, stands on its own in many ways. Um, and in our case, there are a few things that we became known for and I think try to continue to maintain a lot of focus on food and beverage is one of the key ones. Um, and I think that it really does help to sort of activate local Indian uh, patrons in, in each of the markets in which we're um, operating because our hotels are, are great places for social gatherings, but also a great place to go have dinner. Um, so it's not just about global travelers. Our, our head of operations here in India, Raj Menon, who's in the room, was telling me that uh, they had a press conference in uh, Bangalore at the new Whitefield Marriott, uh, oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and one of the Indian reporters said, well, Marriott's an Indian company. Uh, and then proceeded to ask a question. And Raj was thrilled by that question because in many respects, uh, we want to make sure we deliver the strength of the global platform, which uh, is similar to some of the comments that have been referred to, uh, but that we also have the expertise in our team to really run a local business. Uh, I think our 18 hotels last year were 67% Indian business and 33% rest of the world. Uh, and so you can see already that that is a uh, majority of our business, and it's growing faster. So you look at the statistics over the last five years in India, and inbound travel from the rest of the world is grown much more slowly uh, than uh, local travel within India. And you've got to believe that in the next 10 to 20 years, uh, India should focus on inbound travel because it is a compelling destination. But as the economy grows here, we'll see Indian travel within India grow at dramatic rates. And I think uh, the growth uh, profile for us will increasingly shift in that direction as we head to more development in more cities in India, but also more development with Courtyard and Fairfield, uh, not just the luxury hotels in, in the uh, three or four biggest cities in the country. Has the recent downturn in the, in the economy affected your occupancy and rate at all in 2012 compared to uh, previous years? Two, 2000, 2012 for us wasn't, wasn't a bad year. Uh, uh, but when you look at the last five years in India, uh, whether you look at the data you've pulled together or other consultants have pulled together, uh, you see an industry which has uh, lost nearly 20% of RevPAR, uh, and uh, there are a lot of factors that are driving that, uh, but clearly part of it is the pace of supply growth compared to the pace of demand growth. Demand is growing, uh, but it's not growing in every market fast enough to take on the supply. Uh, I still think in the fullness of time, given the size of this economy and given the growth at which it uh, the growth it should be posting over the next number of decades that we'll see that uh, the supply gets uh, 
filled and taken care of in a way that uh, ultimately creates for a healthy industry here. Uh, but it's been a tough few years. Fritz, how are your hotels doing? So our, our managed hotels in the last couple of years have outperformed their comp sets by about 10 percentage points the last two years running. And uh, that's in part thanks to the ramp up of a couple of brands uh, like Aloft and Weston. But I, I think in this market, one has to take the long view. I mean, uh, you know, the forces of change that were unleashed by internal reform 20 years ago have brought India a long way. But I think what's accelerating change now, looking ahead, has as much to do with what's happening in the rest of the world, the flow of capital, the demand for business, the fact that India has such an abundant supply of human talent, I think, by themselves will be forces of growth. I mean, this is a market that's still 27% urbanized. So the opportunity lies very much in front of us in India. And my own view is that if there are difficult times here, that's an opportunity for us to find other ways to grow. And, and there will be fits and starts. That happens in any large growing economy. And, and I think India probably more than any other because of some of the volatility here. So uh, we take a long view and we're very optimistic and we're willing to be patient because this is a business that we see as being an extraordinary growth engine in the next 20 or 30 years. And I think unlike a market like China, which in the next 15 years will be largely built out, uh, 15 years from now, India will still be on uh, the steep part of its growth curve. And, and we intend to be ready with that. Uh, we want to make sure that our brands are well differentiated in the marketplace so that we can build out a market, build out the micro markets around it, segment both by location and brand, so that we can bring scale to a market without having our properties compete with each other. And setting ourselves up to do with that is what we're focused on right now. Our, uh, our properties have done fine. I, you know, from a market-wide basis, um, occupancies are down, and rev pars have, have been suffering a little bit you know, because of some of the supply issues. Um, we have outperformed that uh, last year, and we expect to this year. I think one of the things you have to be careful about, though, is you know, sort of the 24-hour news cycle of, of, you know, of all industries now is to sort of, you know, forget about the long term and focus on the short term. I think both Arnie and Fritz described it. I mean, we, and I said it in my earlier comments, I think the fundamentals here are probably the best of anywhere I see in the world, simply driven by, you know, underlying supply and demand, underlying demographics that are probably better for our business given the age of this very large population as compared to anywhere else in the world. And what I think we have to be careful of is getting caught up in any quarter or any year that um, as we kind of manage the business, we see Repar declines, increases. I think that the simple story is that all markets ebb and flow. Supply and demand moves up and down. Um, people build more in some places than others. And, and when you look at it, you're going to have years that, you know, they're going to, that are going to be a little more challenging. But um, that line is directionally up. That's the one thing we know. Everybody here is, I think, in violent agreement. The next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, given the demographics, the underlying fundamentals are amazing. There, may be, there are definitely going to be years that are better and worse than others. The same is true in China. The same is true in the U.S., Europe, everywhere around the world. Uh, but the, but the, the, the trend line... Energy, um, energy costs are, are escalating at a pretty high pace. Um, so we're increasingly spending a lot of time thinking about what we can do differently um, to actually start to get abreast of some of those issues. Because from a cost perspective, um, and as an owner in some, in some respects in the, in the marketplace, um, keenly aware of the fact that that's going to that's gonna have an impact on margins over time if we're not more aggressive about how we go about managing um, energy utilization and water. Water is going to be a, a serious constraint over time. So um, I would say that in terms of uh, how we're thinking about uh, competing and, and what hotel performance looks like. Top line's critical, but also thinking about some of these key resource constraints, which will take a while for infrastructure to catch up to, um, especially given all the growth that you just heard about um, coming into the market. I think we have to be intensely focused on it. Actually, some of the efforts that you're involved in right now on sustainability are, I think, well-placed for... Um, what we all need to be thinking about as we go forward. Not so much, I, I would say yes, of course, when you, when you think about building a new hotel, um, doing that in a very sustainable fashion is, is very important. 
But on the operating side, um, that's really the, the gift that keeps on giving year after year. Our hotels are going to be here. This hotel will be here 50 years from now. So what happens as you operate the hotel in, in relation to the resources and, and environmental sustainability, I think, is critical. Okay. This is a uh, two-part question. I'm going to ask the first part first. Um, is your company an innovator or a follower? We'll start with... Um, well, I guess... Um, Just a one-word answer, please. Oh, innovator. 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 Both. Both. Okay. Um, looking back in time at some of the recent or fairly recent innovations in the hotel industry, such as the heavenly bed, the heavenly shower, uh, flat screen TV, internet booking, revenue management. What's the next big innovation that's going to take place in the hotel industry? Mo more mobile. Mobile. Not, not that any of us are going to invent the idea of using mobile devices to, to do things, but how in the industry we connect mobile into all aspects of the business to me is the next big innovation. What's Star we're looking at? I, I think it's leveraging technology to be able to deliver personalized services globally and taking the, the fundamental notion of hospitality, which is a one-on-one -on -one dialogue and a sense of familiarity and being at home and making that available in every hotel around the world. And I think starting with our most valuable guests but moving through and making that something that's universally available, I think is transformative in the industry. And I think it's yet another thing that companies with scale and with the effort to make those changes will have a considerable advantage over those who don't. Married as a follower? What, what are you going to follow or what are you going to innovate? Well, well, we're both. And the reason I say both is uh, we, we certainly wouldn't pretend to be the first people to come up with every single idea that the industry has. And, and I think uh, we talk at Marriott and have for years about success is never final, which is really about making sure we're seeing the best ideas that are out there. And sometimes they're the best ideas in our industry, sometimes they're the best ideas that are in a different industry. Uh, and so you've got to make sure that you're keeping an open mind and being willing to say, you know what, that's something that's really working uh, somewhere else, let's, let's adapt that for us. But at the same time, uh, innovating and trying to come up with those new ideas. Uh, certainly, uh, the technology pieces, whether it's around mobile technology or other uses of technology, is a huge and obvious way, of, a place where all of us need to be investing and innovating and copying from other industries uh, that are doing things with those technologies. But, you know, we launched a new brand in uh, Berlin a, a month ago. Um, is that innovation? Yes, it's innovation. Uh, is it a brand new idea in the sense that nobody's ever uh, brought some sizzle to the value part of the lodging industry before? It's not a brand new idea either. Uh, but I think it's one that we can uh, claim to be innovative uh, with and to have a brand that uh, with one partner will do hopefully 150 hotels in Europe and we'll see that that brand takes off across the rest of the globe. Um, so there's a lot of discussion about the application of big data and customer uh, data dissemination and the like. Um, nothing at the end of the day trumps authentic human engagement, especially in an increasingly digit digitized world. So I think a lot of the innovation on which we focus and I think uh, will continue to evolve is um, service model innovation. What, what your experience is as a guest walking into a hotel, what are you confronted with in terms of the physical space? Um, what's the mode of interaction? Um, how does that actually become uh, an expression of uh, one's own self and how do you bring that out? Um, that's really a lot of what we're spending a lot of time and effort focused on. And it's particularly uh, um, fulfilling in India because I think about uh, India's uh, country filled with people who have hospitality in, in, innate. It's uh, in the DNA. Uh, one reference point I would make is um, I've probably had more meals in the homes of our partners and owners in India than in any other country in the world uh, by a factor of 10. So. Um, the, the sense of home hospitality is embedded. 
Um, it's one of the reasons why it's so wonderful to be here. I think you've, you've heard all of us talk about how we enjoy being here. That's really one of the things that I love most. Um, and so to me, it's a great asset to be able to, to leverage as we continue to try to expand and also maintain personal um, human engagement, human care. So speaking about innovation, um, just a, a quick survey. Uh, how many of you are on Facebook? One. I, I, I monitor my Tumblr kids. I'm on and Instagram right now. I'm, on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook because I have enough friends already. <laughs> we have 3.7 million fans of our properties on Facebook, so uh, that's, that's plenty. I have six friends on Facebook. Okay. They're all related to me. <laughs> I think I'm technically on Facebook, but you won't see a picture or any data. I joined at some point so I could check on my daughters. but That's, that's why I joined, that, too. That, <laughs> but they, Bill Mary but, but my daughters Facebook? won't friend me, so I, I, fear, I realized I couldn't get in to see what they were doing anyway. How about Twitter? I'm not a Twitter. Nobody I'm tweets? Not a tweeter. LinkedIn? I do have a LinkedIn page. A little bit? Page. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a BlackBerry or an iPhone? <laughs> an iPhone. iPhone? BlackBerry and an iPad. An I okay. Arnie, you have an iPad. iPad, iPhone, yeah. yeah. So, Mac. So I, I have no PC and no mobile phone. I just have a BlackBerry and an iPad. No PC and no... No, no, no cell phone. No cell Two phone. Two devices. Okay. Yeah, I'm BlackBerry and iPad. Okay. Um, how many emails do you get a day? Um, I actually don't, don't know. I think more end up in the spam account than in, my, in what I see, but I don't know. Probably more than 100. More than 100? Yeah. 50. Only 50? Wow. You must have a good spam filter. Yeah, you must. <laughs> have a human human <laughs> filter. Spam filter. <laughs> or a good secretary. Two or 300. Two or three hundred? About the same for me. Two fifty, maybe. Interesting. Um, do you use a Kindle or do you like to feel paper? Do we use what? I, I do all I, my I, news I, I, on a Kindle, or do you like to read a book uh, with paper? So I, I do all my news and periodicals on an iPad. Okay. I have a Kindle, but I prefer a book. Got it. That's same. I read, I read uh, periodicals all on my iPad, but if I'm going to read a novel, a book, I like to touch it, bring it with me. Smell it, smell the paper. Smell it, that. stick it in my briefcase. Old habits die hard. Same for me. Got it. <coughs> so where, what's the, the main issue about your company that keeps you awake at night and you worry about? What, what really bothers you that? day-to-day -day that you're really focused on? I, I don't know about these guys, but I sleep like a baby at night. I sleep for two hours, wake up, cry like a baby, go back to sleep for two more hours. <laughs> okay. That's I've been sleeping in this heavenly bed. I can't believe it. I just feel so good. But um, it's still an innovation after all these years, too. But um, Nobody... Nothing Look, I, worries these guys. We're in a, we're in a business that depends on the, on the global health of what's going on. So, you know, any major disruption is, is something that, that people would think about and be concerned about. I think cybersecurity and, and what that could look like is a concern. But uh, I think for all of us as human beings and as business people, we can't be paralyzed by what could go wrong. We can focus on what we can control, do our jobs as best we can, and, you know, the results will come as they do. I worry about everything. Everything. I worry about everything. I mean, I, I think getting the, the uh, balance right between uh, the, the, think about India as an example. We have lots of owners because of high interest rates or because of economic circumstances in India uh, who are under financial pressure. We need to make sure we deliver results for them as powerfully as we can, but we also make, need to make sure we get the balance right about um, maintaining and, and building the strength of the brand, and those those two things can uh, create some tension. And so I worry about that. I worry about getting the uh, 
the new brands launched well. I worry about uh, technology He's and really good at getting advertising in every, I, I was oh, every step of the way. With, with Arnie worrying about everything, we can live I, carefree. I, I, That's Arnie, the beauty Arnie, of this, Arnie, you should too, keep so. worrying about all those. <laughs> I'll keep worrying about it. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's play You Be the Moderator. And um, each one of you can ask one question of one of the other panelists, something that you've always wanted to know about their company. So Chris, ask a question to any of your panelists about what you always wanted to know. What have I always wanted to know? Um, gosh, that's a tough one. Mark, what, um, what are you doing in the limited service space? What's the future of limited service for Hyatt? Um, so when you talk about limited service, are you talking about something below high place, high house level? Yeah. Uh, nothing at the moment. So um, <laughs> that's a pretty short answer. Uh, we actually were in the, in the business. Uh, we owned uh, Microtel uh, and sold it to Wyndham about four or five years ago, six years ago, I guess. Um, and so we were actually in the business of, of, I guess you would describe Microtel as a budget brand. Um, but it was really a fundamentally different business. The developers didn't overlap with the developers of the other Hyatt brands. The customers didn't overlap. And so we sort of looked at it and thought, it's a different kind of enterprise. And in order to really get, re become relevant in that, you had to grow by the thousands of units. So fundamentally just a different business and we ended up getting out of it. Fritz, what would you like to ask? So Chris, <laughs> when's the IPO? <laughs> That's a, good, that's a good question. I figured I'd get asked that. Um, I don't know, and I, and I can be honest in telling you that. Someday, uh, we're obviously owned by private equity. They're five years into the deal. The deal's been um, a great success for them, I think, or will be a great success for them by all measures um, as a result of where we are from the, the growth point of view and the overall numbers. Um, at some point, given, you know, Blackstone and private equity are in the business of recycling capital. They will want to recycle their capital. Um, but I'd say they're not in any rush. And I'm not in any rush in the sense that there's a lot of value that is still to be uh, captured in the company. And so while well, at some point we'll do it, um, we're taking our time. Party? I'd ask, I'd ask uh, Fritz and Chris both, what are you guys going to do about your timeshare businesses? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm afraid to say, I, you know, I love our timeshare business. Um, you, you obviously uh, successfully spun yours out, and it, it's had uh, a pretty good run since. Um, I think our intention is to maintain the business, you know, keep it inside um, for the time being the mothership, and continue to transform it from being a business that is um, a capital-intensive business where we're basically producing all our product to doing it with partners like we do in the hotel business um, and do more of, uh, and transform it into more of a capital light fee-for-service business. We, you know, we went from 0% of our timeshare revenues two years ago um, you know, that were sort of in the capital light fee-for-service. Our expectation is uh, this year we'll be close to a third. Next year we'll be over 50% of all of our sales will be for third parties. So. We like the business um, a lot. It's, you know, we're, we're you know, producing more EBITDA than we ever have historically um, as a result of higher sales than we've ever seen historically. But we like it in a more capital-light setup. Yeah, I think similar story for us. In, in the four years I've been asked whether we would spin off our timeshare business, we've managed to get a, a billion dollars in cash after capital expenditures, uh, which is, I think, more than... We might have spun it off for, although given the success of your spinoff, Arnie, maybe that's, uh, that's not true. You guys have done so well with that. Um, but because we're not focused on growing EBITDA, but generating high returns, and therefore limiting the size of being selective, we think we can generate significant IRR, cash on cash, looking ahead. And we have another few years ahead of, of positive cash flow coming out of the business uh, before we even need to think about replenishing the inventory. So. Um, very complimentary to the hotel business, clearly in the hospitality space, but uh, uh, you know, we've taken a careful look at what you've done as well. Mark, do you have so, a question? Sure. Um, so my question is for Arnie. Um, having spun off 
the um, timeshare business, um, I, I guess you, still, you had a need to continue to invest in real estate because you've been actually investing in real estate, which is wonderful to see <laughs> as a company that hasn't extolled the virtues of uh, being asset light. So uh, how, how do you think about uh, investing in real estate going forward? Still, still as a temporary thing, uh, I, I don't think we'll ever get to where any of you are, actually. I mean, I, I think you all own more real estate than we do. And, and a lot of that is, is a vestige of a long-term business strategy, which, uh, which I actually think is, uh, to be fair, a, um, a good one. And I think historically people would say that valuation of real estate and valuation of the fees are maybe dramatically different. I'm actually not sure the market data shows that. I think the multiples on the two halves of the business, in the U.S. at least, are fairly comparable. Uh, maybe there's a single turn difference at various stages of the market, but it's not a night and day difference. Having said that, I think our expertise really is in the operating side of the business, not in the real estate development side. And so where we're, where we're taking exposure to real estate, it's about you know getting new brands or new platforms launched, getting into markets where we're not yet there and we need to take some exposure and I think once uh, hopefully we, we make good bets and we'll be able to recycle that capital and I think we'll stay pretty capital light okay um, what I find interesting about you four CEOs top CEOs in the world that none of you have degrees in hotel administration yes you had some summer jobs in the hotel industry to you, but, uh, you know, I went to Cornell, and I can't think of, uh, really, of all the top hotel companies, uh, the CEOs don't tend to be hotel trained. You think it's a disadvantage that you're not hotel trained? And why is it that hotel trained people have not risen to be CEOs of the major hotel companies? I'll, listen, I, I think it's by happenstance. I think, you know, it's a moment in time where you're looking at the four of us and none of us, you know, are, are uh, from Cornell and have that background. But um, I think, obviously, there's some amazing programs that, that uh, a lot of all of our talent in our companies has come through. And I would I'd be shocked if in, you know, future generations around the corner, you're not going to see that representation change. So I think it's more a moment in time than it is you know, a, a trend line. Um, I'll let them speak for themselves, but no, I don't think it's a disadvantage for me that I, you know, that I don't have a, you know, a hotel administration. You're a real estate guy, so that's close. How about Fritz, you're a brain guy. Yeah, do you think you're better suited to run Starwood than a hotel guy? You know, I think when you get to the stage in life that, that all of us are, uh, which is, I like to think middle age, although I'm not sure we're going to live to be 108, but, um, the fact of the matter is, where we went to school and what we studied, I think, is pretty irrelevant after 30 years. I was sitting in a meeting the other day, and uh, we were looking at promoting someone to a very senior role, and, and someone mentioned, well, you know, this person doesn't have a college degree. And I said, does this person behave in a way that's consistent with our culture and our values? Yes. Does this person deliver results? Yes. Is this person someone we believe can be successful in their role? Yes. Then I don't care whether they walked in off the street. That's what matters. And so I think it's, in many respects, irrelevant. I think the important thing when you have a senior leadership team is, in fact, that you have people with different experiences, different backgrounds, a shared set of values, a shared sense of where the company's going, and in, inter and in engaged, open discussions with that group of people, you ultimately get to the best decisions in business. And I think if, if you have a leader that's ensconced in hospitality, then you should make sure you have someone else on the team who's unburdened by uh, years and years of doing things a certain way who can ask the questions. And I think that dynamic and creating that culture at the top and throughout the rest of the company is actually what matters. Yeah, I, I would just... You're, you're a finance guy. Yeah, and I would agree with what Fritz just said because coming into Hyatt, um, I got to ask a lot of stupid questions along the way. Uh, Chris was still with Host, so I, I got to go sit down with Chris and say, look, I'm new to the industry, uh, and I, I want to share my observations on a bunch of things, and I want to get your input and feedback. And by the way, you were very generous with your time, and I, I would say that was true 
really around the industry, there are a lot of people who really extended themselves and, and helped out, mostly because they felt sorry for this idiot who didn't know anything about the hotel business. Um, but the idea, I, I learned a long time ago from uh, Jay Pritzker, who, with whom I worked for a long time, that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, and boy, that really proved to be true um, as I came into Hyatt, because when you ask what appear to be simple questions, you sometimes get answers that lead you to more questions and, and some other insights that people who've been in the industry for their lifetimes may not see so clearly. Arnie, you're an attorney. Does that help? I, I don't think it hurts. I mean, I, I, I think if, uh, if there are young people in the room, it's hard to tell with the lights up here, but if, if people know they want to go in the hotel business, they should study the hotel business. Um, I think for a lot of us, we, we didn't have that clarity on what we were driven towards. And there are advantages and disadvantages, I think, to both. I think this industry is, in fact, extraordinarily broad. Uh, and so whether you're looking at development or brand strategy or technology or, or uh, global travel trends, different expertises will aid, aid you in a different way. But clearly, the more you invest in understanding this business and being an expert in this business, that's a huge advantage if you have it. Good. One day it'd be nice to get it, but. <laughs> okay, last question. Uh, there's a uh, news talk show called The Chris Matthews Show. And he always ends by, tell me something I don't know. So tell me something I don't know about hotels in India. Something that nobody out there would know. <laughs> the, the, Finally, the, I stumped the, the, the Royal panel. Gardenia in Bangalore is a luxury hotel that's Platinum LEED certified, and you wouldn't know it if you walked into that property. Okay. Except for the Platinum LEED's medallion that sits there. Right Austin, you've, been, you've been sneaking around our properties. I was, there, I was there last night. <laughs> I was there on Tuesday, yeah. And there's a big, there's a big lead symbol. So did we enroll you in SBG? <laughs> Platinum status? <laughs> that HBS thinks Hyatt has the most recognizable brand in India. Okay. I didn't even know that. Actually, here's, a, here's, a, here's something that we should learn. What is the difference between a Grand Hyatt and a Park Hyatt? <laughs> <laughs> well... Um, so, uh, I guess in your parlance, I would say uh, the Park Hyatt is, is really a direct competitor to St. Regis um, in most markets. Uh, we're, not, we're not direct competitors in every market, obviously, where you've got a St. Regis. Uh, we're still much smaller than you. Um, and um, let's see. The Grand Hyatt doesn't really have a, a good comparison in, in your portfolio. Maybe... Um, in, a, in, in the Indian context, I would say JW Marriott. So it was, it, it's certainly, um, Park Hyatt is definitely positioned as our luxury brand. And uh, it happens that many of the Grand Hyatts that exist in Asia, we cover almost all the gateway cities throughout Southeast Asia, um, were built to be grand hotels um, with great food and beverage and great restaurants and great banquet spaces. So they, um, they do operate uh, in what feels like a luxury kind of context, but, but Park Hyatt is truly the luxury brand in our portfolio. Arnie, what, what would you like to say that the audience doesn't know about? There's, there's not a single thing I would attempt to tell a group of Indian experts about the Indian hotel industry that I think I know and they don't. <laughs> Good answer. Okay, our time is up. Arnie? Thank you. Chris? Fritz? Thank you very much. Thank you. And Thank you.